This is Cinema Degeneration. <laughs> no. Why? why? Why is that funny? Look, look. You came to me to find out how guys like Mike and Chucky and Freddie do what they do, not why. VIP passes to help us. What is that? It's a traveling horror night. Has horror mazes in it. We will totally lose it in there. It's gonna be fun, right? <laughs> Why are we signing a waiver? Nobody knows what's gonna happen in there. A couple years ago, some girl got totally gutted. Killer left her body in the park for three days. They thought she was a freaking prop. Some people are just evil. They walk among us. You think you're scared of me? No. Move. Look, the more scared you seem, the more they're gonna come after you. You have to just play it cool. Help me! Please help me! <laughs> you can just do it. insane, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Real. <laughs> the same guy's been following us the entire night. You take your job too seriously. Scared, right? I can't arrest people for doing their job. Welcome to Hellfest. Hello? Hey, can you let me out of here? Alrighty, folks, welcome once again to Cinema Degeneration's Single Serving Slasher Appreciation Month. We are celebrating everything single serving slashers, slasher movies that did not have a sequel, uh, no reboots, no remakes, no reimaginings, just slashers that only got one chapter to tell their story. 
And this evening we are bringing to you a special uh, special haunted edition with the 2018's Hellfest, directed by Gregory Plotkin. I am your host, uh, Cameron Scott, and I'd like to welcome my lovely co-host and wife, Patty Scott. How are we doing this evening? Hello, folks. Hello, Cameron Scott. Yeah, we are doing the... well. Doing well. From across Excited the house. Excited for this one. <laughs> I'm waving at you from across the house. You can't see me right now, but you know. <laughs> I'm yeah. super excited about this one. I know. This is one of your favorites, which is I, I pretty much knew when I uh, brought up the single-serving slashers. I was pretty sure that you were either going to choose this one or Funhouse Massacre. I, I thought it was a toss-up. Yeah, it it was a good a good question. Both of them are super worthy of this, but this one just just edged it out. Uh, and uh, now, is there? A, a, I got to ask uh, before we get into the IMDb synopsis and start breaking the movie down. What was your first impression when we saw this movie? Because we saw it together in the theater a couple of years ago when it opened. And I'm just curious what you're going to regale the story to our listeners of what your first impressions were of Hellfest. Yeah. So. What I remember of it is it came out a couple years ago um, and it came out the day after my birthday. And so we used it as an excuse um, as part of like a longer birthday weekend to go check out this movie. Um, So I don't think I knew exactly what to expect going in. um, But from from the artwork, like I am a a sucker for a masked slasher. And so (laughs) the the cover kind of gave that away and so I was like oh that's a check in the right direction and then I'm also a sucker for anything that happens in like a haunted house or like a haunted amusement park or something like that and so um the the artwork for it if you haven't checked out the poster I would highly recommend it it's it's really neat artwork for it um and so it really kind of drew me in I think my first impressions watching it um and you'll probably kind of see that reflected through our talk was I just really love the characters. Um, same, same. I feel like there's a lot of times you go into these movies and you're just rooting for all of them to die because they're awful and you don't want to <laughs> have to listen to them talk any longer. Um, but this was one where I, I just thoroughly enjoyed kind of the banter and back and forth and the the interactions between them. I have to agree on several levels. I, I you know, part of the reason why we jive so well together and uh you know i'm sucker for a, uh, a mass slasher i love anything that takes place in a carnival a fair you know a haunted house any type of those atmospheres and i gotta agree uh you know that the characters are just lovely in this movie you know you you're not necessarily rooting for any of them to die you, you know when they do you kind of cheer anyway because if, if you're like me kind of always root for the bad guy <laughs> i don't know what that says about my moral compass but we don't have to talk uh, about that right now yeah that's that's another show for another day but yeah i i love these characters they were they were fun and fun loving and you know one of the bits of trivia that i had and i'm sure you probably got this in your notes too is that you know the the characters were allowed to uh, you know to riff off one another and to improvise and i think that shows through and it makes it a little bit more natural and feels a little less scripted than usual yeah and and from we watched some of the behind the scenes and extras to prepare for this as well um and there was a lot of talk about how they really worked to create some camaraderie between the cast so that that would feel a bit more natural um and that the cast would stay up watching horror movies 
um, all night or kind of between filmings just to kind of get that feel for kind of how they wanted it to go. And so I thought that was a, a really neat idea to help get your cast that are supposed to like each other to have that actually show through. Yeah, yeah, that was interesting to get to hear them talk about that and get to see some of their cell phone footage that they shot for some of these behind the scenes bits. That, that, that was just interesting. I thought it was uh, worth mentioning there. But um, as we're going to get started here, honey, did you want to take the IMDb synopsis uh, for this one? Sure. So we have Hellfest here. So a masked serial killer turns a horror-themed amusement park into his own personal playground, terrorizing a group of friends while the rest of the patrons believe that it's all part of the show. And I feel like that's a fair representation. Sometimes these uh, IMDb synopses are way off the mark and you kind of wonder who wrote them <laughs> but that one's pretty good <laughs> yeah pretty spot on but uh i think also it needs mentioning now this would normally be something that would send up a warning signal to me but it doesn't wor worry me at all considering i've already seen the movie several times probably more times than i can count but this movie has six different writers for it had three different writers doing the story, three different writers uh, doing the screenplay, and I'm going to list them all here before we get started because some of the, uh, the 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 crew behind this needs mentioning. I mean, we already mentioned Gregory Plotkin, who did Paranormal Activity, amongst others, but the writing cre credits are as follows: you got Seth M. Sherwood, Blair Butler, Akela Cooper, William Pennock, Christopher Say, and Stephen Susco, and then it is also like produced by the the like the juggernaut of the producers Gala and Hurd, who is responsible for Terminator movies, uh, several other uh, James Cameron's flicks, and also the the various Walking Dead franchises. So it's really surprises me that this didn't turn into a franchise. I know they planned it to be one to have a prequel and a sequel, and, and you know it's only made in 2018, so we may still get it. But it makes me a little sad that we didn't get a you know a, another chapter in the story so far. I had actually read too that it was meant to be um, they wanted to make like a serial event from this too that they wanted it to be one of those types of movies that you get a sequel every year kind of like the Saws or kind of a franchise like that um, oh. for whatever reason it just didn't pick up and so. Um, they had, from what I've read, a prequel and a sequel that have been kind of in in development for it, but they never never have happened at this point yet. Yeah, it still may happen. You know, I mean, with with COVID happening in the pandemic over the last couple of years, a lot of uh, things have been stalled. So, still got my fingers crossed. I'm not going to keep them crossed for too long, but you just never know. You never say never. Uh, Absolutely. Think, older uh, movies have been resurrected for sure. <laughs> Yeah, one one other prop to the the team um, as part of um, kind of promotional materials, the production team workshopped kind of a walkthrough haunted house experience um, for six different um, Six Flags amusement parks. Um, for uh, I don't probably kind of a thank you one for letting us use one of your locations, um, but two mm -hmm. is kind of a way to help kind of promote the film for around that time of year too. Ah, oh, I would have loved this. Went to one of those. We we've never really went to one of these big uh, haunted house attractions. We always went to the kind of the, the smaller ones, you know. Uh, but ne never quite made it to one of these or like you know the Halloween Horror Nights walkthroughs. But maybe maybe someday, maybe one day, we'll take a road trip and go do one of these. Gonna have to be on our bucket list for sure. 
But uh, let's start breaking down the movie itself, the, the cold open on this movie. I love it. It's done over the credits, kind of chopped back and forth, you know, a little bit of opening credits and then a little bit of movie, a little bit of credits, a little bit of movie. Uh, I love the the cold open with the rando people and the attraction, <laughs> you know, just going through. And you have this killer chasing this brunette girl because he, he does have a type. The killer is never revealed in this movie, never fully revealed. He's just known as the other which I would I, I would like to spend a little time at the end too, kind of uh, talking about what our thoughts are about the killer and how we what we might think he was too. I I do I have some thoughts on that as well, but I love that they give you kind of little bits and pieces, you know, of, of his uh, not so much his identity, but maybe like his personality. You get a taste of what who he is, but you never you never see a face. There's never a face or a name put to him. But it's, it's uh, a great introduction through the haunted house. Because you see them walking through, this group of people walking through um, these mannequins. And then all of a sudden, one of the mannequins turns their head and starts to mm-hmm. follow her. Um, and so there's something I find very creepy about mannequins in general, of like a whole room full of just, you know, if there's somebody that's a real person that could be in there, um, that's just a really creepy idea. Um, the other It's utilized that, really well, I thought, in this movie. Yes. The other thing that Cam knows that I have, like, a weird uh, appreciation for, I guess, in these types of movies, is creepy children's music. And so <laughs> when this this killer also hums Pop Goes the Weasel throughout the movie as he's kind of stalking his victims. Um, and I, I don't know, there's just something so creepy about all of those old children's tunes that way. Yeah, yeah, the the Pop Goes the Weasel song has has a kind of a deep rooted connection for me because I have a, a a scene in my first feature film where I have a bad guy singing a a line from Pop Goes the Weasel, so it just kind of just uh, makes me have a shiver down my spine and a smile on my face at the same time. But uh, anyways, anyways, I love that the cold open though with the the randos and the attraction and the and again yes the Pop Goes the Weasel. Uh, you know, it's just, it's just creepy the way he would just hum it, you know, because I think folks, you need to know if you haven't seen this movie. And if you haven't, we're going to be giving you all sorts of spoilers. Please pause the podcast, go watch it and come back because I don't want to spoil it for you because we do do spoilers here. I guess I should have said that at the beginning, but anybody that listens to our show knows we do spoilers up one end down the other. thing that i i really find creepy in these movies that this this movie kind of plants in the back of your mind too is the idea of you know you're you're in this attraction where there's these you know quote killers that are around but you know what if there's actually somebody that's actually a killer in one of these houses and the idea that um he just uses the dead body and hangs it up like a prop in this amusement park um, that we find out later on through the movie, kind of through, you know, some of the, the stories that are shared through the main group of kiddos that we follow, that the body was hung up there for days, that people just thought it was part of the attraction until the smell kicked in. <laughs> I know, right? It's just like, it makes it think of every haunted house you've been in, and it's just like, you know, something like this could very well happen. I think that's the part that adds a, a genuine layer of creepiness to this. 
you know, I love supernatural horror, but at the same time, I love a realistic horror movie where, you know, something could, could it, realistic in the realistic bounds of reality, you know, you could actually like see something like this happening. Like, oh, there's 17 dead bodies hanging from the ceiling in this haunted house. One of them might be real. How would you know? You wouldn't know. Yeah, those those are the things that genuinely creep me out. Like, I love a good, you know, a, a good haunted kind of movie where like you know spirits or ghosts or you know supernatural types of things going on but they don't really scare me because you know that's not not something I, I really ascribe to but the idea that you know we'll talk about who this killer might be um down the road could happen is a much scarier thought to me yes yes and the thing that's uh that's also scary about this to me it, that it led a, a a personal scare to it is this killer has a type he has a type of feisty brunettes who are not scared. And I happen to be married to a feisty brunette that is not scared of anything. <laughs> yeah, your bitch would have been targeted. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> you would have been a target. You would have been just like Natalie, the main character in this, the Amy Forsyth plays. Like, she, you'd have been like, yo, you ain't scary. And then have been like, great, now we're getting targeted. But just keep that in mind next time we're, you know, going through one of these haunted houses you know might be the other to, might be the other. gonna have to tone down my sass <laughs> i don't know about all that but just make make sure the creepy guy in the mask is you know doesn't take it personal at some point or another yeah <laughs> yeah yeah uh but as much as like natalie is our fa- final girl you know is one of our two final girls I think the MVP of this movie, and I'm pretty sure you're going to agree, and this is what it's going to lead me into. I'm going to talk about my favorite character a little bit, and I'm pretty sure it's probably your favorite character. But uh, Bex Taylor Claus, who plays Taylor in in the movie, she is the best. I love her banter. I love her sass. I love her snarkiness. I love her fun-loving attitude of just like, I'm just here to have fun, get fucked up, and see scary shit. Like, I just love her character to death. Like, I would have much rather seen this movie would have been a full 10 out of 10 for me, which I might be breaking uh, protocol and saying what my rating is going to be. It's not quite a 10 out of 10. It's going to be close. But, uh, yeah, it it would have been just one notch, one little better if Taylor was the main character. Now, I probably am going to hazard a guess that Taylor is your favorite character. So, yes, so... Taylor is my favorite character. I super love Taylor. I love her energy. I love, uh, yeah, her feisty, rambunctious nature. Um, I need more friends that are like Taylor in my life because I'm much more of a Natalie. Um, And so, you know, the idea of having some of these friends come and kind of push your boundaries and and kind of push you to do some of these things, um, I think are, is, is a really fun way to use that character. But I don't, like I, I think she's good as the character she's placed. I don't know if I would have preferred her as the main character. I think you needed somebody who um, was the sweet, innocent girl next door who was fearful of things to make this work a little better, like it does. You got a good point there, hon. I, I, I will amend my, uh, my thought on that one. You're probably right, but it's just, it seems like characters like Taylor's never get seen in the forefront of, of a movie like this. They're always relegated to the sidekick or the friend, but... You know, yeah, yeah probably she would. Is, she is energetic. She is snarky. She is just looking to cause havoc and trouble, and looking for some dick and looking to try and make sure all of her friends get some too. And that's that's a good friend. 
Yeah. And the funny thing is, like, they play it off in the beginning when um, when Natalie's character is introduced. <clears throat> you know, her friend Brooke is, you know, the, her their best friends. Brooke is in college. Natalie is kind of, you know, in that, that transitional stage between high school and college. They don't really say why, whether she has problems at home or she has personal issues or money issues or nothing. But she's kind of at a, at a lost stage in her life. So she shows up at, at Brooke's house. They're going to have like a, a big group date. And she sees Taylor there and she's just like, oh, great. Why? Why is this bitch here? <laughs> you know, and you could tell they instantly don't get along. But I think it's 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 a fun way to introduce them because Brooke is constantly trying to get Taylor and Natalie on the same page while also setting Natalie up for her, you know, blind date with Gavin, you know, and she's just trying to get her out of her shell and she does eventually get her out of her shell where they're all kind of getting along because, you know, I think was it that Taylor keeps calling Natalie. She keeps calling her grade school as her yeah, nickname. Yeah. Her grade school. Yep. And so we, we can tell Natalie don't they, like that. <laughs> they've known each other for a long time. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, the, the implication with the nickname being, you know, you got to grow up, you got to get yourself out of that shell and do things that big kids would do now, too. Yeah. And that's what, again, I, what I like about this movie is, uh, as I put it in my notes, no douchebags allowed. There's no douchebags in this movie. Even you got a kind of an alpha male type, you know, with the Astro character, which is, uh, Taylor's uh, boyfriend, you know, Quinn is kind of semi-alpha male and Gavin, you know, I feel so sorry for Gavin because he is such an awkward dude and they could have played him off as like, you know, the atypical guy that is just trying to get some on this first date. But it's so sweet the way they develop the relationship between him and Natalie. They're both just so socially awkward, but I love it because it's very played, it's played off very re realistic when they get to when they get to Hellfest and they, they start, you know, getting to know each other. He's trying to win her some some toys, you know, playing some of the carny games and, you know, taking pictures with her in the photo booth. It's it's very sweet and very natural. Yeah, I very much appreciated that they didn't go for the trope of of just the these all alpha males that are, you know, just looking to get their dick sucked and nothing else. Like this was a, a guy who who was genuinely sweet on her. Um, and, you know, they were were building kind of a genuine connection there without making it over-sexualized, which you don't often see in these kind of movies. Yeah, usually the dude is just like all about just trying to get some and <laughs> usually failing miserably. But he's just like, you know, like they're even little, the little, the little awkward kiss they have in the photo booth. This felt very natural and I, and I appreciated that. But the thing that also felt very natural, and I think of you, honey, every time I watch this movie and I see this scene, when they're getting into the, the first attraction at Hellfest, and I forgot what the name of the school was. It was like a school-type setting. And the one girl that the other is chasing down at the beginning that you know he runs into because he does have a type. He has a type for people, for brunette women, who tell him that he's not scary. And they're not afraid of him. But when she's being chased down and like she runs into the room and, and the girls are all there and they think it's just part of the attraction or our main characters, even even they do at this point, they think it's just part of the attraction. And he runs out chasing her and she's hiding behind a desk. And I think it's is it Taylor or Natalie that that uh, rats are out. 
I I don't remember. I think it's Natalie because I think this is the girl that you're looking for is like right over there. So he goes and yeah, he goes and drags her out, and is like pose, posing with his knife, and he's just like, and she just looks at him. She's like, just do it already, and he stabs the shit out of her. But they think it's just part of the attraction. So them, even when it starts happening to them later on, everybody, it's the perfect. That's why this the setting for this movie is so perfect. Yeah, I would agree. I. I do say I do want to go back slightly um, okay. and, and talk about a couple of things because you skip forward through a whole lot of stuff. Um, but one thing I want to say is that I'm, I'm a little disappointed in you right now, Mr. Scott, uh, because you have totally <laughs> omitted the main reason that anybody should listen to this movie. Um, and that's Tony Todd. Oh, I was going to get to it. He is the voiceover man that you hear as they walk through the attractions and through the amusement park. And so, um, you know, his, his voice is just so fantastic. Um, and so, you know, anytime you hear it, it, it just forms the little whole black cuckolds of my heart um, to hear him voicing over anything. Yeah, I, I, I wasn't going to forget about him. I hadn't forgotten about Tony. But as I like to call him, it's Tony motherfucking Todd. Because he deserves a motherfucker in the middle of his name. But yeah, he he plays the Barker. And he's only physically in one scene. They only have him actually in, you know, as the actor in one scene. Everything else is voiceover. And it's it's not lesser of a film for it. You know, he, like you said, the smooth, sexy, sultry sounds of his voice just leading you through this this haunted attraction is this a mwah, chef's kiss to this movie because i can't think of anybody better to ha- have do that for this movie the the other thing that i didn't know if you knew this is the second time voicing over an amusement park he also did that in final destination three. Oh yeah he did yeah, yeah i would say that was uh tie-in callback for him that was quite a few years before but yeah then this would be a second time hell yeah <laughs> Didn't even think of that when we were talking about it. Even when we watched it and we were taking notes, I didn't even consider that. Um, but the the other other kind of big foreshadowing thing that has talked about before they get to the murders is as they're going through the house, um, Gavin does give Natalie the advice as they're looking through all of these mannequins to look at the hands. And so to be able to tell or differentiate between those that are mannequins and those that are real people. Um, which is going to come back into play. Yeah, yeah. Foreshadowing, as we like to call it. Yep. Um, but yeah, and then, you know, in the process, you also have Taylor just sexually harassing zombies. Um, that would have been me. That was me in my youth. I definitely did that. Um, so <laughs> you saying you would have been talking shit to the, the, the carnies? I definitely got hit on by somebody who was an evil butcher in a haunted maze. That definitely is a part of my life, yes. <laughs> <laughs> not surprised. Not surprised at all. I already knew this, but, you know, it's still not surprised. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, so so I could identify with that. Because I do recall one time during a Krampus haunted attraction that we went into that you were uh, getting along pretty well with a, an evil, a sadistic uh, S&M-style Santa Claus. So, I'm, you know, I'm not, 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 not surprised. Not I surprised. I the shoe fits. Well, <laughs> you just got to wear it for a while, yeah. Oh, uh, that's great, though. That's great. It wouldn't have you any other way, babe. <laughs> <laughs> but again, this movie, uh, a strong point, Arisk, is his characters. 
Uh, I had a couple of notes here. One, Brooke, uh, played by Rain Edwards, is the best of best friends because she's getting her her friend, you know, uh, Natalie, out of her shell, trying to get her to get out and socialize a little bit. Set her up on a great date and is trying to get her to reconnect with old friends. But, you know, unfortunately, she's doing it in a place where they're all going to get fucking murdered. <laughs> you know, take that part away, you know, that take that part out of it because, you know, I mean, she, yeah, not like she knew. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I, I think, you know, thinking about kind of where we're at in the movie at this point. So the, the killer has just killed this one victim in front of this other group. And then he's got this other girl now that is saying the same thing. Right. So the first girl was somebody that he saw through the crowd that wasn't scared. And now all of a sudden he's run across this other girl who's now saying the exact same thing and looks very similar in appearance. Um, like yeah. you mentioned, there's definitely a type. Um, so you know this guy's got to be like, dude, this is like two for one day at the, <laughs> the museum. Yeah, this is like a buy one, get one. The BOGO deal. Yeah, yeah. And I think it also uh, needs mentioning that he bought his ticket and got in just like everybody else. And, you know, you never see his face. He has a, he has his mask tucked away in his, his jacket. And every weapon that he's he gets is one of the bit of the, the, the trivia that I picked up is that it was something that was uh, set out by one of the writers is that every weapon he uses is something he picks up at the attraction. You know, he I picks noticed, up. I saw that as well. Um, and I think that's that's, again, kind of an interesting idea of, you know, this is a guy who isn't isn't planning ahead in terms of needing to bring, you know, a specific weapon or anything. And he, he knows that there's things around that he can use. He's not too worried about what will be there. Yeah, he'll, he'll just use whatever he finds. He he gets a mallet. He gets a, a syringe. He picks up a knife off the guy who's making drinks and cutting limes on, and lemons on uh, for a lemonade stand. You know, it's just very neat and like they even show like okay this guy didn't bring anything in because they use a metal detector and the only time it goes off is when you see his steel-toed boots and the one is like kind of frayed where you can see the steel-toed part of it sticking out so that is also comes back as a foreshadowing bit much like the hands on the mannequin you know that will be how they figure out who's uh who and there's a couple of scenes coming up later but i don't want to ruin it yet but yeah there's gonna gonna come kind of a multiplicity moment if you will (laughs) But uh, I think the the first death we get, well, not the first death. We've already got one death in the beginning credits. We got the poor girl that got, the random girl that got killed off when uh, Natalie was just like, hey, do it. First real death we get is poor Gavin. Now this poor guy, he is on on a date. He separates when they're going to the the Deadlands because they got VIP tickets. They all got VIP tickets, so they're going to the Deadlands part of the amusement park, which is supposed to be you know the the ruthless part, the hardcore part of the park. But he decides to leave everybody. You know he's going back because he wants to. He was horrible at these these carnival games. You know trying to win a plush toy for his new girl. So he decides he's going to go back and try to, you know, get this guy to sell him one for 50 bucks. But the guy's like, hey, you know, I'm going to lose my job. So he sees a guy walking out of a building that has armfuls of these things, and it's like a storage facility. So 
He goes down there, but babe, who follows him? Our killer, the other. Of course. He tried to be all sneaky sneak, going to get a little surprise for his lady. And then uh, what I think was a really gruesome hit was the mallet to the head that you see in this. I thought the the blood and, and gore, even though it's only shown for just a second, um, was really well timed to the kind of the strength bell that you often yeah. see at the amuse queue. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's a quick shot. I mean, it, this movie has uh, oodles of gore when it comes down to it, but it's not overly done. It's not so over the top that you're just like, okay, you know, this is just a, a, a blood fest. Not that I, I mind that kind of thing. Um, but I just thought that they showed him, you know, the, the blood and the gore and, on the kills very briefly, but it was very, very effective in that mallet scene. Whew, I mean, because like he, he hits the poor Gavin in the throat think he crushes his larynx he was probably going to die of asphyxiation anyway but he can't just let him die that way you know he just crushes his head one good hit with that giant oversized mallet like a muscle man and just crushes poor gavin's head so but then this is the neat trick that i love that this movie does is they go ahead you know the rest of the group goes ahead without gavin of course because he's now dead but now our killer has gavin's cell phone which he uses his his finger his thumb you know to, to open it up and texas you know texas back and forth with natalie so they think gavin at least for the time being until they start realizing what's going on they think gavin's still around you know so it's a uh, you know nice little trickery trickery and tomfoolery going on yeah i thought that was a nice touch so he grabs several things off of gavin and one of them being the cell phone um and yeah it just toys with her that we'll see kind of some hardcore toying uh coming down here shortly um but i think the the scene right after that too is so they're they're going into the, the deadlands natalie is just waiting for gavin to get back um but she now has to ride in the car all alone into the deadlands because they're paired off and her other part of the pair is missing um and of <laughs> course in the middle of this ride her car has to break down so the lights are off you see the emergency red lights starting to come on you hear the ominous Tony Todd voiceover saying that, you know, it's been an error. We are working to fix this. Stay in your seats. Um, and then you just see, like, this black silhouette of what we can only assume is the other standing there, just watching and kind of slowly walking towards her as the lights are flashing. Yeah, and the rest of her friends, there are all two and two in the cars, and they're all making out. They're having themselves a grand old time as you would do in this kind of situation but she's obviously by herself but not technically by herself because she has the other there and very sweet of him to you know keep yeah her. very sweet yeah he's just keeping her company but uh I, I i like that they called this little uh you know little trolley car or whatever you want to call it what is i don't know what's actually called but it's called the night bumps which i thought was a really <laughs> funny tongue-in-cheek way of calling this thing and her paranoia is not unwarranted because this guy has already, you know, been following her, you know, uh, when they were in the photo booth together, something we kind of skipped over a little bit. But um, while they're in the photo booth taking pictures and they, uh, Gavin and Natalie previously were making out in the photo booth, he comes up, the other does, and snatches the picture, pictures away from her and Brooke chases him down, can't find him. So the other is, quote unquote, following her around, but they think that Natalie is being kind of like, 
I think that you, it's safe to say they think she's overreacting because everybody else just thinks that, you know, this guy just works at the park because why wouldn't you think that? Yeah, I think it's, you know, I think anybody that's been in a haunted house or been in one of those places, you know, if you toy with them a little bit, as we've established that it's been a pattern for me, um, <laughs> you, <laughs> you will, will sometimes have them follow you for a while because then they want to scare you. Like, so if you, I'm not somebody who's easily scared in those things. And so they will often try to make sure that you're scared. And so sometimes you might have the same person pop out at you a couple times to try to do that. Um, and so I think the group just assumes like, oh, this is just a ride worker who he's just going above and beyond at his job to to get the job done. Um, but Natalie is convinced that that is not the case. And again, like I said, the, her paranoia is not unwarranted because the dude is following her and he is a killer. But just nobody really quite... Uh knows that yet <laughs> you know so, yeah one nice kind of freak out so we see um this ride worker that has the other mask on that's slowly walking towards her as she's trapped into the car um and we see a cut to the other group members who are just standing outside the ride waiting for her um and all of a sudden you see a man on the cart riding and kind of looming over a slumped over natalie in a chair or in the in the kind of car. Um, so then we realize, oh, this was just a ride worker who was coming to help make sure that she got out of the ride safely. Um, right, right. Good fake out. Only, Good fake but out. But not only do we realize that, we then look around to see these masks are everywhere. These are not, uh, these are part of the apparel of all of the workers that are there. Yeah, and I have two bits of trivia. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to blow my load here twice in a row the one of them a cameo yeah one of them is a cameo i'll let you take the cameo i'll let you take the cameo oh i was just gonna say so the the director shows up as a cameo as the other um as she um is walking out from sitting out uh or getting out of the broken down ride he is sitting there kind of passed out yep yep and the other bit of trivia is is about the mask itself as the mask designer the same fella that designed the ghost face killer mask from the screen movies uh designed this mask tony gardner so that's what part of the reason why i think it's so effective because while i might not one that did the happy death day ones too yeah yeah yep yep you know so while i might not like be the biggest screen fan like i can't deny that the mask is not cool as hell so i'll leave it at that (laughs) oh don't want to get this off into a rant about scream yeah the the mask is very disturbing and, uh, you know, in, in some of the behind-the-scenes stuff that we watched, they had talked about how they wanted it to look creepy and different in the different types of lighting. And I think that's that was pr- accomplished pretty well. Yeah, because the, the mask, it, it looks disfigured and burned, and the eyes are kind of off-center. One's higher than the other, and the nose is misshapen. And whenever the light shines on it, you know, because all these crazy lightings, the blues, the purples, and reds, and greens that is all over this you know, this theme park, it, it, it looks different in almost every way that you look at it. So I, I thought that was very effective as well. It again, kind of sets you on edge of like, is that the same one or is that a different one um, when it looks slightly differently? Yes, exactly. Uh, and so what do we get next? They, they do get split up when they're going into another part of the attraction. When uh, the girls go off, there's a there's an easy way to get out. 
or at least it says that way. It says it's supposed to be an easy way to get out and then a hard way to get, get out. So the girls take the easy way. The boys take the hard way, but it doesn't really, uh, doesn't really work out for, for one of them, does it? Uh, not ideally. Not ideally. There's also, also a little Dr. Satan uh, homage in there, too, from House of a Thousand Corpses, one of the characters in the, the oh, yeah. the girls go through looks a lot like uh, Dr. Satan. Oh yeah, like it's it's Doctor Satan with a slightly different you know get up. It's, I mean, I I think I remember in the theater I might have yelled out Doctor Satan when I first uh, yeah, exactly. you know saw this guy. <laughs> yeah, so then I believe it was Asher was the name. Um, yeah, of Taylor's boyfriend, who unfortunately does not make it through this half of the maze. He is not not successful day by that. Um, he's taken down by the killer and is stabbed in the eyeball with a it, syringe. Yeah, because him and Quinn, Quinn gets out before he does. You know, that's Brooke's boyfriend. He gets out and leaves kind of Asher alone. And, uh, yeah, the the killer takes a syringe and takes some sort of vile green liquid. I don't know what it is it's supposed to be. But then he stabs him in the eye, injects it, and then, like, uses his fist to hammer the syringe completely through his eyeball and through his skull. And it's, again... Not something that's shown for much longer than a couple of seconds, but it's such an, an effective effect. It, it's it's so hyper-realistic. I thought it looked really, really well done. Yeah, yeah. and eyeballs in general, they'll just make you squirm. Well, you, you know me and eyeballs. It's like, it's, I even got it right here. I'm like, Astro gets it in the eye, and it's always a fucking eye gag with these people. Always an eye gag. <laughs> You know, and I, I love the fact that Quinn's like, oh, you know, don't worry about, you know, Asher. He's probably in there having the time of his life. I'm like, yeah, he he might have, but it, it's, 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 it's over real quick. It's a one and done. Yeah, along with his life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think, think that I okay. think the next scene here is the one of my favorites um, in terms of of what we see. Unless you had anything else on that. Oh no 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 okay. no go right ahead. So we we see Natalie. They're starting to kind of walk and continue on through the park, um, and we see that Natalie just gets vomited on with some gross gooey shit from one of the the employees at the park, and so she decides like oh, she God. gets slimed. She gets, she gets totally slimed, slimed like by Slimer. It, it's it's gross. It's real real slimy, real slimy and gross. And so she's like, "Yeah, I gotta go and get cleaned up." So initially, her and Brooke go into the bathroom. Brooke says, "Hey, I'll just meet you outside." And so we see that she is kind of um, not necessarily totally washed her hair, but has kind of wetted her hair down to try and get all the goop out of it. And so she is standing under one of the kind of automatic hand dryers that you see in bathrooms um, and just has her head down and is just running her hands through her hair, trying to kind of fluff it up and, and dry it. And we just see the, the killer, the come in the other sneak in and just watch her just in plain sight, just watch her a couple feet away in the bathroom stall. I love how it's edited because, you know, when it cuts over her shoulder in one shot, he's not there then it cuts back to a close-up of her, and then it cuts back, and he's just there. Not walking up, doesn't step out from anywhere. He's just there. He's just there. 
and he just reaches out and just ever so lightly just touches her hair. Yep. Which, again, if we we think there's something going on with the brunettes or something that he has uh, an affinity for that way. Um, yeah. So yeah, then, yeah. So then she decides, Natalie's like, well, as long as I'm in here, I'm going to go to the restroom, goes to the restroom, tries to text Gavin, and all of a sudden she hears his phone go off in the stall next door. Um, <laughs> it's so creepy. Which is just so creepy because you can see, like, her phone, you can see that it pings the message away, and then, you know, a second later you can hear the ping of him, his phone receiving it. Um, and so she kind of is like, huh, that's weird. So then she does it again. Again, you hear the ping, but this time you can hear that that ping is a little bit closer than that other ping was. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, she does it again and she can just see his feet with those steel-toed boots peeking under the door um, and starts really kind of cat and mouse gaming, just trying to scare her at that point. Yeah, because and this is the, the the part that is the most gross part of the, of the movie to me. It's not one of the kills. It's not any of the blood or the effects. It's when she tries to get away and this bathroom is seedy and nasty and the floors are all wet. And she he's trying to break into her stall and she gets down on all fours and crawls underneath into the next stall to run out. It's just like, ew. Now, I'm not exactly a germaphobe or anything. We know this. But uh, yeah, just crawling on that nasty bathroom floor. It was just like, oh, man, that's how you get like hepatitis and shit, man. This is not not right. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's desperation. That's just pure desperation. They have to get on that floor. But this is when we bring in the, the character of the uh, the main security guard. Uh, I, I forgot the name of the guy. He had a name, but I can't remember what it was because it was stencil on his jacket, but that doesn't matter. He's security guard number one. But they're trying to explain to him, at least, you know, uh, Natalie and Brooke are, you know, that this guy's been following them. And he's like, it's it's a, you know, a haunted theme park. He's like, what do you want? And he's like, you just described 35 people that, that work here. And he's like, you know, they're not supposed to come into the bathrooms, you know, into the private areas. He's like, but at the same time, he's like, what do you want me to do? That He's scaring you. Are you hurt? No, you're not hurt. Well, they're doing their job. What do you want me to do? Like a, a dozen complaints like this every hour. Which, you know, in if you take a step back outside of the world, you know, we've been following these characters. We know what they're saying is real. But, you know, from the security guard's perspective, like, yeah, I can only imagine how many calls that they get of like, oh, my God, there's somebody chasing me that they're like, yeah, yeah, that's that's Jimbo over there. He's He's supposed to chase you for the next hour. That's what you pay for. <laughs> right. That's why he gets paid time and a half, right? Exactly, exactly. But then they go out, I, uh, and this is where we, we finally get when, you know, again, you can't blame the, the security guard for being dismissive, but, you know, he kind of disappears for a little bit. He will come back into play later on. But this is where we finally get to the full-on Deadlands part of it, and we finally get to see, you know, Tony what happened. Yeah, we get to see Tony Todd, and it's such a grandiose entrance. They come... You know, they have a half dozen people carrying him in in this big throne, and he's got a, a top hat, and he's got ornate rings on and face paint. And it's just, uh, I mean, I've met Tony Todd. He's the sweetest man in the world, and you just want to give him a big hug every time you meet him. But, like, he's scary in this. He's the man. Yeah. Yeah. And he's just, I, I could listen to, you know, that man read the phone book and be highly entertained, you know, and <laughs> just... Yeah. It's like, oh, what letter is he on uh, now? He's on H? Okay, just keep listening. Keep listening. <laughs> yeah. Well, 
he there's something kind of like old school about his his uh outfit too because he's got like the big fluffy white collars the big like bolo tie the big pronounced top hat um with like this really elaborate um like eye makeup too uh that there's just you just can't take he he steals every scene he's in anyways but he of course steals it as the mc here Yeah, and uh, and part of the behind the scenes that I had seen with him is that, you know, he was interested in the script because, you know, he loved the character, but he liked the fact that the, you know, the Barker, as he's called, and the other, that is our killer, are not connected. I guess, you know, going into this movie, the, that was the biggest surprise for me because I was just like, oh, it's Tony Todd. He's going to be playing some sort of nefarious type of character. Nope, he's just the Barker. He's just the, the MC of the of of uh, the Deadlands, you know, and I I'm here for it. I I, I like a good red, red herring. I, I kind of thought that was a, you know, maybe you know the first time I watched it, this and my first impression was that like he was going to be a mastermind and like leading the other two as victims. But no, no, no such foul play like that going on. He's just the greatest MC in the world. I, I did see that, you know, there have been talks of what future movies may look like, um, that the idea was to have Tony Todd have a bigger role in future ones, should it ever be made. So, oh. fingers crossed that... Well, if we win the lottery, we're going to make it happen. We're going to make exactly. it happen. Yeah. But uh, he does... He does have something going on, because Taylor has been missing for a, a little bit, and they're kind of wondering where she is at. And uh, they they say that they need to make a sacrifice because they need a virgin sacrifice. And they bring out Taylor, who is quick to say, even though that I think her exact quote is, don't know about the virgin, but I have ran laps around the seven deadly sins. And the banter between Taylor and the Barker is just fucking comical as hell. Like, I, I, I could have watched a, a half an hour of just them going back, back and forth. Yes, it, you know, it it was very much of you know, the the stoic, deep voice Tony Todd trying to be like, you know, we need to sacrifice, and you know, you must pay for your transgressions. And she's just like, yep, yep, did them all. Yeah, did it? Uh, did probably it? should pay for them. Yep, yep, yep. And they're like, what's the price? And she's like, your head. Which I can't do a Tony Todd. So fucking forgive me, Mr. Todd, for even <laughs> pretending that I could do your voice. But that's as best as I got. That's the best I have, sir. And I won't do it again, I promise. <laughs> but yeah, the Barker, the man, the myth, the legend. I, I love the fact because... Like, Natalie's watching this happen. They're putting her in a guillotine, strapping her Taylor down. Natalie's freaking out. Once again, cornered, you know, uh, cornering the uh, the same security guard and a couple other guards, freaking out that something's going to happen because she sees that the the boots, um, the, the, the uh, what are they called, the man in the gallows is 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 our killer the the other because she can see the worn out steel toed boots that he has and this the same pair of boots but of course the guillotine drops it chops off taylor's head and for a nanosecond you think that she really got decapitated until you see tony todd pick up this obviously fake head and give it a big old wet sloppy kiss and it's it's a pretty good fake out there are several good fake outs a lot of movies you know hammer things like that home and do a lot of jump scares and don't do it effectively. But again, I think this movie does it very effectively. 
my only point of disbelief with that of how the hell did they make a fake head for her in the 15 minutes that she was there? That's, that's <laughs> yeah, the yeah. People would have had trouble doing that. Yeah, they would have had. I'm going to see them having a, a fake head, but like she had a very distinct haircut. You know, <laughs> I don't think that uh, they would have had time to like, okay, we're going to cut and coif this hair. We're going <laughs> to paint this part this color and make the head look like hers. Yeah, that's the one part where my suspension of disbelief uh, kind of take doesn't take take hold quite quite as much. But it's still it's it's a good fake out for at least a half a second. So then, you know, we then cut to uh, Taylor, who is still strapped down in the guillotine, um, just with her head still intact. Um, And we have the security guard who now leaves backstage with the killer um, because Natalie is making such a fuss. And so, you know, I would I would almost argue that, uh, you know, the security and the other people watching backstage get pulled because of Natalie. Um, and that Taylor's uh, untimely demise may have possibly been prevented. Had oh yeah, Taylor, had Natalie not freaked out so much. If, if anything, it wouldn't have been, if maybe not prevented, it at least been postponed a little bit. You know, she might have made it a little bit further. But Natalie raising her big stink. I mean, she's not wrong, but you know the yeah, the security guards are just basically telling while they're arguing with her out front. They're like, you know, now great, now you wanted the cops, we're going to call the cops on you. She's like, good, that's exactly what I fucking want you to do. But meanwhile, Taylor's left behind <laughs> backstage with the killer, and she's just like, hey, you know, you you, you want to let me go now, and you want to let me out? And the one last guy is running out and just like, hey, do you need help with that? And you, you, You're going to get her? And he just nods, just one nod, and it's like, oh, well, this is the end of fucking Taylor. And she's, she's history. But the I just want to know what that like guillotine was actually made of because he, he raises it up, drops it on her head after strapping her in even tighter. And she's freaking out now because she sees the boots and she knows like, oh God, this is the guy that's been following us around the entire time that Natalie's been yelling about. But it drops on her neck and it just cuts her across the back of the neck. I mean, it's not exactly a scrape, but it's a, it's a, a deep enough cut that it looks fucking pretty gnarly, but it doesn't kill her right away. I mean, we we know it's not like a, a true actual guillotine, but it's, I mean, if even it's made of plastic, a sharp plastic thing, it, I'm sure it would it would cut and leave some damage in there. Yeah, because he's getting ready to raise it up and he's going to drop it on her again. I think he's just going to slowly whittle her head away. At least that's his plan until she undoes the bindings and goes running out. But then at, at this point, it's just when you say it's just pretty much complete mayhem from here on out. Yeah, so so at this point, you know, Taylor's able to get away and gets into the crowd, uh, similar to the the first girl of the day of she tries to go up to get people to help her, and I think they still think it's a continuation of the show, uh, and the other just kills her, um, and then kills the other boyfriend then too. So yeah, like one right after the other, just stabs the shit out of him, and this is the one point where I kind of feel like uh, my suspension of disbelief is also kind of has the wind knocked out of it because like everybody sees, you know, this, this guy, the, the, the other come up and stab Natalie or not stab Natalie, stab uh, Taylor to death and then stabs uh, Quinn real quick, stabs two of them, kills them. And I can understand maybe the people close up saying like, Ooh, this is real. This wasn't like a, you know, retractable knife and start running. But, Everybody start, starts running. Everybody freaks out and starts running. But, like, it, it just seemed to me like a bit 
you know, unrealistic that like, you know, some people would have just stood around and just watched and been like, oh, wow, like this was highly realistic. Good for them. Good effects, <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's true. I think probably until you get, um, you know, kind of the overhead PA system going up, like, you know, everybody's got to leave kind of thing. I think that then kicks it up a notch for people to then say like, oh, shit, something yeah. bad did happen. Yeah, because and then that's the last time we hear from uh, pretty much we hear from uh, Tony Todd as the Barker is him telling everybody, you know, find the, the nearest exits, exits. We've had some issues. Y'all need, you know, to exit in an orderly fashion, but nobody exits orderly, not, not even slightly. Dude, not close. But then uh, go, ahead, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, you know, so then the security guard then realizes like, oh, shit, uh, that that is some bad shit happening. And they do swarm one of the the masked men, but it's the wrong one. This dude's got red shoes. He doesn't have the steel toes. So we know while they might have been trying to do their job and and get somebody, they picked the wrong. They got the wrong guy. If they had only gotten the right guy, you know, maybe the rest of this movie wouldn't have played out the way it has. But uh, now it's just like one big final chase, which you get in almost all your slashers. You get, you know, the the final girl and or girls getting chased by, you know, and a foot chase by our killer. And no matter how fast our final girls run, the killer can always walk faster. I will say I got to give kudos to the two girls for trying to be um, inventive, for trying to outwit him with this. So they they obviously get stuck into another kind of haunted maze house um, that they're going through. And well, like, this one was actually called Hell. That's the last area they enter. It was literally called Hell. Yes, yeah, going through Hell. Um, and, like, they hide in a closet to try to escape. They try to backtrack. They know not to, like, set some of the the um, time traps and kind of the uh, motion sensors. Um, so they really, really were smart in doing oh, yeah. that. But they come to the end and the door is locked. And now they figure out, like, oh, shit. Oh, shit, we still got to get out of here. Yeah, we still got to either go back in the other direction or fight them. It's stand and fight. And, you know, if you run, you might live to fight another day. You stand in the face of death. You just, uh, you, you know, it might number might just be up. But this is when we get the, the where we get the foreshadowing when he comes back, when we get the room full of mass figures on the mannequins. But it's kind of played in reverse because the girls are hiding in that room and the killer is the one trying to figure out, you know, where they're at, which I thought was a very nice kind of juxtaposition playing that against him. Yes, I very much agree. It was a kind of a turn of the tables, as they say. Yeah, because he does wound Brooke, but um, really in this one, you know, almost every one of these slashers, only one person gets away. That's almost a given, the nine out of ten of them. But uh, Brooke, you know, gets wounded in the leg, and she's bleeding pretty bad, but, you know, she, if she gets some help in time, she's going to be all right. But I love the trick that Natalie uses when he, when the killer is, you know, the other uh, is uh, tracking her down. They're they're using the little uh, the laser trip wires, you know, the motion sen- sensors, you know. And as the one, each one he tr- he trips up, you know, a door opens and there's a there's a you know a monster, a werewolf, and then there's a clown and whatnot, and. Um, the, uh, the the one I thought was really good was when he tri- trips the last uh, the last you know quote unquote wire, and uh, she comes out and just stabs him with the knife. I mean, just buries it to the hilt in his belly, and leaves him laying there. Like boom, you think she's got him, but you know the, the girls run out. They make it to the police. 
they make it outside. You know, they got the obligatory blankets. They're huddled around them. And their their wounds are bandaged up, and everything. And what does the cop say to him, honey? There's nobody there. Yeah. yeah. So they've searched the grounds. Uh, they look no killer, no killer on the grounds. And we can see that there's kind of a trail of blood back through kind of a side panel door uh, that likely he was. Yeah. Is this like a Mike Michael Myers? He just ups and disappears. You know, you go back and you know. He's, there's nothing there but a patch of blood, and I know this is a favorite part of yours in this last little bit, so I'll let you take the reins on this one, honey, because it, it's one of my favorite scenes of the movie, but I know it's yours, so you can have at it. Uh, yes, I, th- I think this was just a nice, I don't know if tacked on ending is the right word for it, but just kind of a nice uh, button to the movie. So all of a sudden, um, we, we fade away from the current time. And we hear kind of the the voiceover of police um, and newscasters that are saying, you know, tragedy at Hellfest and four fatalities. And we follow the other back to his home. Um, and we see him open up this locked cabinet where he has just an array of different masks, different trinkets from all of the times that he's done this before. Um, and so he places the copy of the photos that he got from them into the cabinet locks it back up, and then all of a sudden we see the scene open into just a suburban house with a little girl sleeping on the couch. See kind of the other step into frame, um, kind of from the back still, um, and a little girl that just yells, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy! Um, and she just runs into his arms um, and gives her a... Um, and that's how it ends. Yeah, like, Daddy, you're home. Did you get me something? And he pulls out that little... Uh, that... Uh that uh, doll that he had gotten that was the same one that I think uh, that Quinn or Asher had won. Yeah. So the, the plush toy that uh, the other gives his daughter uh, is the same one that Asher won for Taylor. Yes. Yes. I thought, I mean, that was just a, I'm going to, I'm going to clap right here because that was a Bravo kind of ending that kicked it up an entire point for me when I saw that originally. Cause at first I'm just like, Oh no, like, what is he going to do? He's going to kill this little kid. And then it's all daddy, you're home. I'm like, Oh shit. This guy's a fucking dad. And yeah, just the, again, the idea um, that we kind of alluded to in the beginning, but I didn't want to totally spoil till we got to this point. The idea that just some suburbanite man, um, you know, your everyday dad um, is somebody that's out doing these things. I think it's so much scarier uh, than some supernatural phenomenon. Yeah, it's something far more creepier than like, uh, you know, I-, I love my boys, Michael Myers and Freddy Krueger and Candyman and things like that. I mean, I love them and I'm not trying to knock them down a peg. But this is just makes it so much creepier. It's just like, oh, this guy could live across the street from you. Yeah. And you'd never know. Yeah. And, you know, uh, I, I have a theory. I, I don't know what you think of this theory, and I've never discussed this with you, so I'm bringing this up first time. Uh, I have I, a theory, too. So, okay. Okay. Do you, you want to give your theory first, or do you want me to go ahead and get mine? No, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, I think this guy is a single dad who may have either had his wife left him or his wife might have passed away, and she was a feisty not scared of anything brunette and that's why he's singling these uh these brunette girls at these haunted attractions out because he figures this is a good way to a kill under the guise of being you know 
everything's horror, you know, everything this Halloween, I can, I can slip in under the radar, slip in here, kill a couple people and get out undetected. So that was my theory. It's very thin, but you know, there's, there's no wife, there's no mom at home, at least none that we see in the little girl is just waiting at home all alone, falling asleep to horror movies on, on the couch on, you know, Halloween weekend. So as I said, it's a very thin theory, but that was my backstory for the, the other. Like that i hadn't i hadn't thought of of that kind of aspect of him um but yeah i think that would would certainly fit kind of a, a profile for him yeah yes okay so what's I, i'm i'm interested to hear yours because uh we we have not planned this folks i'm uh, so i'm waited with bated breath just like the rest of you to find out what uh, P- patty's uh backstory okay. is here uh so i think he was a worker at the the festival or at the amusement park um because he seems to know exactly where everything is. He doesn't need to take any weapons with him. Um, in the last scene, he knows where all the secret compartment doors are and knows how to open them um, oh. and is able to get out. And he has access to the mask that the people are already using. And so I think he was either oh, yeah. a disgruntled employee or somebody that had the night off that was coming back uh, to cause havoc. Maybe he was he somebody that got fired. In the next yeah, and then just can move on to the next one in a different location the next year. That is great. I, I don't see how I'll, either one of our uh, supposed uh, backstories could be wrong. They, it could be both together. It could they both line up, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now, before we get into our final thoughts and, and ratings on this, I got one last question to ask you. What was your favorite effect and or kill of the movie? Effect kill. Um. I mean, effect-wise, I think I really like the the guillotine. Um, mm-hmm. I think that was kind of a neat a neat way to do that. Yeah, because you definitely think that her head is gone and then it's not. So I like the kind of fake out of that. Um, other than that, I think my favorite death, I think, was probably the mallet with Gavin. Because um, oh. I, I like the way that that was edited together. I got to say, my, my favorite, um, it, it's, it's real Sophie's choice, but I got to go with Asher's death. The the because you know me I, I I squirm at anything that has to deal with an eyeball so if you can get an eyeball effect that will make me still continue to look at the screen while it's happening and not look away you've done something right and the way that needle slowly enters the eye and he hits the plunger slowly and then rams it home through his head was just really well done and the effect is yeah. just really top notch and I love the behind the scenes junket that we saw when they showed how they were doing the head casting and the molding for it. I thought, I, I thought, I thought it was very well done. Oh yeah, but, absolutely. I, I do not dispute that it was well done. Oh yeah. The head mallet though is probably my second favorite because that's just so gruesome. It just kind of makes you go, damn. Yeah. And I, I liked how it was timed to the ding of the bell. <laughs> Slight bit of levity in the middle of the movie, an otherwise fairly serious film. <laughs> I like dark humor. Yes. Yes. Well, that being said, that is the end of our movie and almost the end of the show. But we got to give our final thoughts and ratings on this. And, honey, you know how things go around here. Uh, guests go first, co-hosts go first, and uh, rating on a scale from 1 to 10. Yeah, so as you know, I super enjoy this movie. I think it's just a lot of fun. Um, I'm I'm somebody who I don't feel like you need to get deep into the story of a lot of characters. Like, um, you know, with Ned. We don't need to know 
you know, all of the school problems she's having or the problems with her job or whatever, you know, we can get the gist that she's struggling and that her friends are there to help her. Um, and for me in a, a slasher kind of story, that's all that's really needed. So I, I was happy kind of with that level that they gave it. Um, I really enjoy all of the characters and kind of how they interact and play off of each other. I think that's really well done. Um, I really like the mask. I like the killer. I like the idea of being somebody that's unknown and that at the end you still don't know who. Um, I, I don't, I, I'm, I'm kind of torn. It has to be done well. And I think this movie manages to do that in a way that doesn't feel kind of cheap. Um, I think it, it manages to kind of capture that in a really, in a really well done way. Um, so for me, I would give this movie a nine. Ah, I think you're going to be very surprised. Uh, I'm coming in at also a nine. Uh, a couple of the few things that just, you know, a few things where we, we've already talked about where my suspension of disbelief, you know, kind of is thrown out the window, you know, where, you know, like the, the, the fake head being made to look so <laughs> close to Taylor's and the, the everybody freaking out like they, you know, a few minor, minor quibbles. I mean, because a nine out of ten is still fairly, <laughs> fairly fucking good. Um and again, I love it for pretty much all the, the same reasons you do, babe. I just I think the characters are all very likable, very relatable. There's no, you know, again, we've already already said it. You know, there's no douchebags allowed in this movie, and everybody is a very relatable character. And I like the fact now. Normally, this would be a detractor for me, but in the, uh, where you never find out who the killer is. You, you know, you find out little tidbits like at the end we find out, yeah, he's a dad. He lives in you know a nice little home in suburbia. He's just a regular guy, but you never see a face. You never see who he is. You don't know how he does what he does, why he does it. And normally I would feel semi-cheated in, in a case like this. But this movie, again, does it so well and it moves at such a nice brisk pace that I don't feel cheated in that respect. Um, I, I feel like it does it very well. I think... And, it, you know, normally, if I would see a movie where there were six people credited on writing it, I would be like, whoa, T you know, you know, too many cooks in the kitchen. And that would be a detractor for me. But this is a rare case where I feel like it's, uh, you know, not a detractor. It's actually a plus because, you know, it, it, sometimes I just like a little bit of mystery, you know, like, you know, you never find out who Michael Myers is, although they've tried hammering at home too much who who that motherfucker is. Uh, but um yeah, and plus, let's 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 face it, Tony motherfucking Todd, he he's the cherry on that on the Sunday, you know. He he's the between him and Taylor is the best character in this. Those are the two MVPs in this, and it it's just great. Event of kills, you know. I like the fact that the killer uses different tools. That's also a thing for me. Like I don't like a killer that just tends to use. Uh, yeah, just an axe or just a machete or just a knife. I, I like a kill, killer in my movies to be inventive and creative. Again, I don't know what that says about me on my moral compass, but like I said, <laughs> maybe another another show for another time. But yeah, uh, great fucking movie. Uh, and I had a lot of fun with this one. I like, I really, the, the, I know this is the theme of the this particular appreciation month. But, you know, it's just a shame that this one didn't get a sequel. And like I said, it's only four years old. So, you know, hey, it's not too late. You know, they can still resurrect it, I think. Well, here's hoping that we can make this an obsolete version on your single-serving slashers and that there will be something that comes about from it. 
But yeah, yeah. I, I agree with you on those points. I think the only thing that could move it up if if Tony Todd was in it a little bit more or had kind of a bigger piece in it, I think I would have liked it a bit more. Um, and just a couple of those continuity kinds of things. I think. Yeah. Um, but other than that, I think it, it's such such a fun watch, and I was super glad we got to revisit it. Me too. I like like I've often said on the show, I, I don't need a you know ex, you know actually need a reason to revisit a movie like this, but I always love to have one. So you know, hey, I got to watch it with you, and we get to review it on the show. So I'm happy about that. You know, it's a win-win as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely. Well, folks, I think that about wrap things up for the evening. Uh, I want to thank you all for listening and continuing to listen to our. Uh, cinematic uh adventure here with single serving slasher month and i want to thank you babe because i know you're on vacation right now so you know to take time out of your vacay to you know do another show here it was perfect timing thanks for having me yeah yeah well you know i i i I know people i know people around here (laughs) Yeah. yeah i know somebody that uh you know knows somebody But uh, that being said, folks listening at home, thanks as always for listening. And if you want to help us out on the show, rate, review, subscribe, like our posts, share our posts, comment, maybe send us an email or a message. Let us know what you want to hear from us next. And uh, as always, thank you for listening. And we have been reviewing and dissecting Hellfest from 2018. and enter into the darkness to open up the gates of hell. We must spill blood. What is your name, child? Taylor Ann Smythe, Your Honor. You're accused of doing the devil's work. What say you? Totally did it. And what are your crimes? Oh, well, how long do you have? Because I've actually done laps around the seven deadly sins. Oh, impressive. But you must pay for your transgressions. Oh, what is it? 